you know, our central processing or our CMS was always tucked away in some corner of the basement of the hospital. And I really have no idea what's going on out there. I think it's one of those things where you don't really notice it unless there's a problem. The only time that I would be aware of it is if something didn't get processed correctly or if something was missing or something was broken. So in that regard, I think what you guys do is really a thankless job. I think that there certainly should be more transparency and there should be more collaboration between surgeons and how the instruments are being handled and being processed. Millions of patients undergo surgical procedures every single day. Working behind the scenes are the technicians who go largely unknown, even to the patients whose lives are so dramatically impacted by their work. This is Beyond Clean, the global voice of sterile processing. Join us as we explore this hidden world and introduce you to the unsung heroes driving the advancement of our profession. And now, your hosts, Hank Balch, Justin Poulin, and Michael Matthews. Beyond Clean. This week on Beyond Clean, we are excited to kick off Season 4 with an interview with Dr. Jason Bingham, co-founder and host Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Dr. Bingham attended undergraduate at NYU and then medical school at Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. He is a general and bariatric surgeon and co-director of surgical research at Madigan Army Medical Center in Tacoma, Washington, as well as an assistant professor of surgery at Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. He is an active duty Army officer who has served in two overseas tours and his research focus is on trauma and far forward combat surgical care. And he's the host of a podcast called Behind the Knife, which very akin to our own efforts is filling a need for new residents and surgeons alike across the country, getting information specifically tailored to what they would want to hear about or even their learning endeavors. So Hank, I'm excited to get into this one. This will be our second surgeon that we've had on Beyond Clean and certainly a welcome addition. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this perspective today. That's right, Justin. I remember as we kicked off the Beyond Clean podcast many, many moons ago, a fleeting thought crossed my mind. Can we talk about something new every week and not run out of content? (laughs) Here we are rolling into season four, as you said, and there's still so much left to tap, in particular, a surgeon's perspective on some of these issues that impact sterile processing, number one, but also that touch into the social media space. So today we get to talk to a surgeon and podcaster, a melding of two worlds together that we're very close to as well. So this is for sure going to be a fantastic episode, and I'm really looking forward to talking to Dr. Bingham today. Yeah, just another great season of Beyond Clean. And like you said, they're a little bit ahead of us. Uh, Behind the Knife has well into the hundreds of podcasts to date. So certainly it can be done. And we'll keep on rocking through season four and on to season five and beyond. So 
as we get ready to start up the episode. Looking forward to speaking with Dr. Bingham. And as a reminder, you can subscribe to Beyond Clean on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or search for Beyond Clean on your favorite podcast application. We can also be heard on the Sterile Education app available on iTunes and Android. Don't forget to visit us at the Isham Annual Conference and Expo. You can find us at booth number 256, and we are hosting our second annual myth-busting panel discussion on Monday night. Register now at beyondclean.net as space is limited. You can follow Beyond Clean on Twitter at beyondcleaninfo, facebook.com slash beyondcleanpodcast, linkedin.com slash company slash beyondclean. And our Instagram is Beyond Clean Podcast. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or topic on the show, you can send us an email to info at beyondclean.net. Season four of Beyond Clean is brought to you by Anderson Products and Key Surgical. Superbugs are evolving quickly. Is your infection control keeping up? Introducing the new FDA-cleared EO Gas 4, combining the proven reliability of ETO sterilization with a new high-efficiency microdose technology. Produces zero emissions to the environment and manufactured here in the U.S. with over 5,000 Anderson sterilization systems in use worldwide. Learn more at anpro.com. That's A-N-P-R-O dot com. And Key Surgical, a leading provider of sterile processing, endoscopy, operating room, and instrument care supplies committed to manufacturing and distributing the highest quality products. Key Surgical maintains the highest level of applicable ISO and FDA requirements. Continual dedication to personalized customer service and an extensive product line allow Key Surgical to serve the needs of hospitals, surgical centers, and more throughout the U.S. and internationally. Go to keysurgical.com to find a wide variety of instrument processing and protection solutions, as well as continuing education courses in sterile processing best practices. We'll be right back after a short break. Beyond Clean. Joining us now is Dr. Jason Bingham from the Behind the Knife podcast and really I'd say this is the first time we've ever interviewed anybody else from another podcast and definitely one in the healthcare space. So Dr. Bingham, we're really excited to sort of have you on the show and maybe exchange some trade secrets with our audience today. Thank you. Happy to be here. You know, I think everybody really understands that the power of social media is growing and there's plenty of areas where we could take that conversation. We probably won't on the show today, but we really want to relate it to your podcast and the next generation of surgeons utilizing social media. And I thought maybe we could just start with you telling us about the Behind the Knife podcast and how you got started with it, as well as the other co-hosts that are on your show. Absolutely. Probably like a lot of people, I found myself in the surgical social media world completely by accident. Behind the Knife is a surgical podcast, surgical education podcast, where we interview leaders in surgery about a variety of topics. Its really main audience is 
surgical residents and practicing surgeons in the field. But uh, honestly, we have patients listen to us. We have people that work in the medical community that aren't surgeons, but probably the vast majority of our audience is surgical residents and young junior surgeons. The idea came about actually over, I was a resident at the time we started it, me and one of my co-founders, Kevin Keneary, over a couple beers. We had listened to podcasts. We were big podcast enthusiasts, listened to, like I'm sure a lot of your listeners, This American Life, Serial, a lot of those different types of podcasts. And we also liked audio content for education. So when I was a medical student, I listened to a board review, a medical student board review uh, that was very popular. can't remember the guy's name that does it. It slipped in my mind at the time. But then, and then when I was a resident and a medical student, I would listen to Jeff Guy. Jeff Guy had surgical ICU rounds, and he was really one of the first people to do a surgical education podcast. And we're having a beer one night. We're saying, you know, that something like this doesn't really exist for us. I would absolutely listen to this if it existed. We sent a text to Scott Steele, who's the chair of colorectal surgery at Cleveland Clinic. He's one of our mentors. He said, hey, we should do this. And Dr. Steele is a very intense guy. <laughs> um, so before we knew it, he had John Cameron, who's you know one of the big fathers of, of modern surgery. Keith Lillamo, Carlos Pellegrini, all these giants in surgery. He's like, okay, great. These guys are coming on. We don't even have a microphone. We have no idea how to make a podcast. This is just an idea. But that's how it started. So we got on YouTube. We got online. We figured out how... You had to make a podcast. You had what equipment you needed to have. We had our guests lined up before we even started. It just exponentially grew from there. So we filled a need that we wanted. We wanted this podcast for us to listen to. And it just happened to kind of resonate. We were really excited when we got our, like our first hundred downloads. And then that went to thousand downloads in a day. And then that went to 10,000 downloads in a day and listened to in 80 different countries. And it was completely by accident. And we, it really was. It just kind of came about organically because I think this is the way that medical and surgical education is going. Social media is the future of medical education, I think. Yeah, so you're preaching to the choir on that, obviously. We would totally agree with that, and there's a lot of things in disruption mode in the sterile processing industry because of how social media is impacting all this. But I, I did want to go back. You know, that's a fantastic origin story there for the podcast and, you know, it's one thing to start a podcast, and we've kind of gone through this over the first you know, year and a half, two years now of our show. It's easy to start it once you have the tools and you get a couple of guests on, but it's a whole other ballgame to sustain and to grow, and that doesn't happen by accident. Part of what Justin asked here at the front, too, and I want to give you the opportunity to speak to it, is in terms of being successful, you know, so you met the need, but what other ingredients would you point to to say has really kept the podcast growing and your momentum going forward throughout the history of the show? I think it's having a good team. Kevin Canary, John McClellan, Scott Steele. Any one of us motivation is lacking, the other one picks it up because it's a lot of work. This thing grew faster than we would have liked it to, to be honest with you. We're all busy. I was a resident at the time. Now I'm a bariatric surgeon up in Pacific Northwest. One of the guys is in a, in a vascular fellowship. The other guys are very, very busy academic and clinician. You have to be intentional about it. It's a job. You got to grind it out. You got to meet that need and grow with it. It's just a matter of making the time to make sure you're putting out a quality product, editing, promoting, all that stuff. It's laborious. That's how I became a surgeon. That's how I did that through medical school, did that through residency. It's like anything else in life. You got to grow with it and you got to put the time in and just grind it out. Yeah, so speaking of time, I know one of the questions that we wanted to throw at you on this interview was, 
as you alluded to in your previous answer, social media is impacting, especially the younger surgeons coming out into the field today. But in order for social media to really have an impact, it has to be good content. There's got to be work that has gone into that to have a provocative story to tell or education that's engaging and not the same old thing, again, repackaged. Even apart from the podcast, how have you seen that level of social media impact the way that surgeons are trained today or the way they network? How would you kind of speak to that? Oh, I think it's huge. We're still trying to figure it out. Surgery has been a little bit behind some of the other different specialties and other different fields. You look at internal medicine, emergency medicine, they're a little bit more evolved when it comes to the education. They, they branched out into, into social media and these other mediums far before we did. So we're a little bit behind. I think it's huge. If anybody out there is interested in, if anybody's out there works with residents or education at all, I would point them to a learning theory for the digital age. It's an article by George Siemens, and it centers around this idea of connectivism. So we've reached a point, especially in everything, but especially in medicine, especially in surgery, where the volume of knowledge has is exponentially increasing. So there's, there's just way too much to know. It's not like 50 years ago where learning was kind of in isolation. You would go away and you would you'd study for 10 years on whatever your trade is, become an expert in that, and then you would go out and practice. That's not the way it works anymore. There's just too much volume. It's not possible to know it. In addition to that, the half-life of that knowledge is diminishing, so everything's changing at a ridiculous pace. So the idea of connectivism is in a networked world, we live in a networked world, and learning is a networked process. That knowledge is a networked product. The connections that you make, it's how you obtain information is more important than the knowledge itself. How you obtain knowledge is more important than the knowledge. That's the way that young surgeons are going to have to learn if they're going to survive and be successful. I think we're behind in that in in, in surgical education, and and that's how social media is kind of filling that gap. Certainly, there's concerns about the quality of that product. It's not that vetted, peer-reviewed product all the time anymore, and we're going to have to struggle to catch up. That's the reality of the situation. That's the way it is. That's the way people are learning, and it's up to us to kind of fill in those gaps and address that need. Besides subpar quality social media in this space, have you seen or experienced a downside or a challenge to all of the connectivity in this particular space going through residency? Are we too tapped in in those scenarios? Is it slowing down learning or is it impacting other things? Yeah, I think there's a couple concerns. One is certainly, like we talked about, is the quality of the products. So there's been studies often whenever I give a talk in front of a group of residents, I ask them what they do to prepare for a case. They have a surgery the next day, maybe they've never done. They dig out their textbook and read how to do the case or what do they do? 100% of the time, the overwhelming answer is they YouTube it. They look on YouTube and they watch videos. That's great. You can go nowhere before in history could you go online and watch the surgery that you're about to do a hundred times. But there, there was one study I think uh, came out of Andrew Wright. He's a, he's a hernia surgeon in Seattle. I think it was in surgical endoscopy last year, but 50% of the laparoscopic cholecystectomies that are on YouTube have serious safety concerns and only 10% of those I do obtain what's called a critical view of safety, which is a very critical thing to do during the procedure. So certainly that's one thing. The, the quality of what's being put out there, we're, we're losing, we don't have control over it. There are some technologies and some social media technologies that are working to address this. There's Jomi, which is the journal Medical Insight and GiveLib. These are kind of like peer reviewed video journals that are meant to address that. But 
unless it's easily accessible, unless you can pull it up on your phone and like you can on YouTube and it's free, they're going to lose. So that, that, that's the one thing is controlling the quality. The next thing is just it's difficult to, I find it's, it's difficult to even address what, if this person's learning or not. Back when you had a list of facts that you needed to know, it, it was easy to find out, to test who was ready to move on to the next level and who wasn't. But when you're, you're talking about the kind of this obscure, how you obtain knowledge, the testing competency, I think, is going to become more and more difficult. as The volume of knowledge that we need to know grows and as quickly as it's changing. You know, we're at a point now where the textbooks are outdated by the time they're published. So how do you test somebody's knowledge to say that they're competent? And you see this a lot of times in the, in the surgery world where a lot of conflicts between older surgeons and younger surgeons and older surgeons and trainees, people who are used to the old way of learning, the old way of defining what knowledge is, interacting with this new millennial generation, which goes about things in a completely different way. There's inherent conflict there. So, so I think that's the other aspect that we need to figure out is addressing competency and addressing who's ready to move on. Dr. Bingham, uh, it's really great to hear you talk about uh, the value of collaboration. You know, when we set out and really started formalizing what this podcast was going to be, we sat down and said that that was going to be one of our founding focuses was the need for collaboration because we completely agree that there is just simply too much knowledge that's moving too quickly for any one person to have all the answers. And so knowing that we kind of represent and come from one of the more most isolated areas in the surgical field being sterile processing, we thought it would be really interesting to kind of flip the script a little bit and ask you as a surgeon, uh, how do you decide on a particular surgical instrument that you're going to use as opposed to one that, you know, is maybe similar, but you aren't going to use it or a vendor, the same thing that maybe there's got two or three options out there. They're somewhat similar. How do you choose which one you're going to use? That's a great question. And I think social media plays into this as well. For me, it's become as a disheartening to some of the device companies out there. I'm not sure who your sponsors are or who listens to this. It's never an advertisement. It's hardly ever a vendor that convinces me to use a new instrument or a new technology. It's almost exclusively from a mentor or somebody I respect. I see them use it or they they tell me about it. It's word of mouth among surgeons, among people I, I respect. A lot of people, it depends on what you train with. There are a hundred different ways of doing almost everything. You go, typical rule of thumb is you go with the method and thing you're most comfortable with, thing you've done it with the most. So a lot of it's going to depend on what you use during your training. But as far as adopting new technologies and not adopting new instruments, it mostly comes from colleagues and mentors watching them. Now, that pool has gotten much larger with social media. I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of the different surgical e-communities. So there's these closed Facebook groups. International Hernia Collaboration, the Robotic Surgery Collaboration, Bariatric Consortium, that are these online e-communities. They're closed e-communities. In other words, you have to be a, you know, a surgeon or in the industry and, and get approved to be a part of it. But it, it connects everybody. So it doesn't matter if you're a community surgeon in the middle of nowhere, Montana, or even pick some in Northern Africa, Egypt, wherever. You can interact with people that are at the ivory tower. So these great kind of surgical greats that, that do a thousand of whatever procedure that you're trying to do and are considered giants and experts in the field, you can get on these communities and you can post questions about patients. You can post videos 
of course, all be identified and HIPAA compliant, but it allows you to interact with these people. So that's where you get a lot of exposure. You see somebody use something or you see somebody do something, you're like, oh, that's pretty clever. I wonder if I should start using that. You look into it and maybe you, you scrub with one of your colleagues who, who does it that way or uses that device to get familiar with it, and then you then you incorporate it into your own practice. And of course, there's, you know, other layers of that, right? There's the, the hospital's cost and price and what's available and who the hospital has contracts with. That, that all plays into it as well. But I usually don't get into that level of decision-making. For me, it's going to come from somebody, a trusted source, which is going to be another surgeon who I respect. They're going to plant the idea in my head to, to try something different. So following along kind of that same thread of thought then, what are some of those primary, very often heard concerns from other surgeons regarding, you know, specifically the functionality of their surgical instruments? As quickly as everything moves, a lot of things we want, we want the data. As surgeons, we want data. So we want long-term data. Is my patient going to do better? And that is kind of sparse on a lot of these newer technologies. I mean, we could get into, I don't really want to open the whole, you know, robotic surgery can of worms, but there's not a lot of long-term data for a lot of these things. So at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want to know that what we're using is going to result in our patients doing better and having a better, better outcome. Uh, I think surgeons are becoming more and more cost aware. That's because we have to be. We're worried about the sustainability of, of what we do. We're worried about, we're more and more scrutinized for what we use and how much we're costing the hospital. And I think it's just the reality of medicine in America. You have to be economically minded. So outcomes, cost, certainly uh, play into it. So Dr. Bingham, we've had one other prior surgeon, as we mentioned to you, has been on an episode before, and he kind of caught the bug. He wrote an article that got posted up on LinkedIn, and we saw it, and he did a self-study of how many instruments were actually being used in the sets that were going up into his cases, and he does primarily minimally invasive pediatric surgery. And so that kind of piqued our interest. And so we asked him if he'd come on the show, and he did. And since then, he's really kind of gotten the sterile processing bug. He's been a big champion for the industry, removing waste. Uh, he's got his home state sort of on board with trying to drive, making it a more technical degree and getting a two-year degree and all of these things that will really improve and move the industry forward. But I think one thing that he realized was how little information he had. And you talked about just the volume. So you can't know everything. And with that in mind, kind of have a two-part question. The first part being, you know, how much general awareness do you think new residents especially, but surgeons overall have as far as the work that's going on in the sterile processing department to clean and sterilize equipment and the considerations for that department and obviously the impact on patient safety? Well, I think we have almost zero idea. I know as a resident, I, I had, that was always, you know, our central processing or our CMS was always tucked away in some corner of the basement of the hospital. And I really have no idea what's going on out there. I think it's one of those things where you don't really notice it unless there's a problem. The only time that I would be aware of it is if something didn't get processed correctly or if something was missing or something was broken. In that regard, I think what you guys do is really a thankless job. I think that there certainly should be more transparency and there should be more collaboration between surgeons and how the instruments are being handled and being processed. So I think there is, as you say, and as your other guests pointed out, I think there's a lot of waste and redundancy there. Yeah, you know, and it seems like there's more and more 
kind of coming, rising to the surface, I guess, of the media. Like you see it in the papers more. It's one of those things, like you said, it's sort of kind of a thankless job and it's happening behind the scenes, but it's coming out through the cracks a little bit in terms of device design. Like you said, the half-life of this information is dropping off so quickly. Well, so is our ability to keep up with technological advancements as related to cleaning on some of the devices, different materials, different designs, areas that are difficult to access for cleaning. How much do you see of those types of articles in the newspaper and do you think that kind of grabs your attention as something that oh wow i you know maybe more attention needs to be paid to that area no absolutely i mean without naming hospitals i mean there's been big things that has definitely caught the attention of surgery departments when it comes to gopes not being clean when it comes to pieces of kits coming up with pieces of bone in them and like ORs and hospitals, surgery departments getting shut down until they fix the problem. That's certainly everybody's ears kind of perk up when they hear about this stuff because your immediate thought is, what that happened to me? A lot of times we really don't know what's going on down there. You get concerned that maybe we should start looking closer at this process and understanding it. And I think it would be helpful, on the other hand, for people down that are, that are processing the instruments to, to have a better understanding of how they're being used and, and what the impact is on the patient when something's not available or something's not working properly. I think that there's a lot of room for growth and collaboration between those two departments. Boy, do we ever 100% agree just because of really the theme of this whole podcast and yours as well is how do we open up the conversation amongst all these cross-functional teams and increase awareness? We would certainly love to do our part to increase awareness for surgeons, but you just really nailed something about making sure that the people that are processing the instruments understand how they're used and even more specifically, what is the impact to the case, the surgeon and the patient when the instruments are not functioning properly? And maybe as we kind of close out this podcast, I guarantee you we're going to have you on again. This was a fantastic interview, but maybe you could give some examples of how incorrectly picked surgical instruments or ones that are not functioning properly have an impact on you trying to do your job on a daily basis. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the old saying that it's the poor carpenter that blames his tools, I don't think that that doesn't really apply in surgery. We know a couple things. We know that the volume of cases that you do with a surgeon directly impact your uh, outcomes. And we know that if you do the same thing, same way every time, you're going to have better outcomes. Surgery is about millimeters. One millimeter this way, one millimeter that way can make a real difference in the way in how well a patient does. If you have your way of doing something, you need your tools, you need them to function same way every time. Yeah, we're, you should be, we're adaptable. We can adapt. If, if we don't have that particular laparoscopic needle driver that we need, we can adapt to another one, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal and it does have, it can have real impact in patient care. If I request a certain method for entering the abdomen laparoscopically and that particular instrument doesn't get sent up for whatever reason, I did that for a reason. I had a reason for needing that instrument. And if I have to use it a different way, it could not go well. It could cause real damage. Or if I have to sit there and wait for 20 minutes for, you know, the thing I need, that's 20 minutes that the patient's undergoing under anesthesia. That, that has real impact on how the patient does. Especially so elderly using, patients, correct? I mean, the anesthesia is absolutely. a big impact on aging, aging population that's going in for surgery and more likely yeah. to need it. 
Every minute counts. Every minute counts. Every minute counts as far as overall cost. Every minute counts for the complications that the patient could have. Every every minute, every second counts. As technology advances, we're more and more reliant on it, like it or not. It helps us do our job more efficiently and better. But if I'm using a stapler, a particular kind of stapler, and it wasn't processed properly and it, there's a misfire or something like that, that could have devastating complications. Yeah, we have to be adaptable as surgeons. But the tools that we use are exceedingly important, and we're relying on these technologies. So it has direct, tangible impact on on how our patients do. You know, Dr. Bingham, I really can appreciate how critical it is. As you said, every millimeter and every second counts. And I don't want to make light of it, but it makes me think of that Al Pacino movie, Any Given Sunday, when he's doing the speech about a game of inches. And, you know, life is a game of inches. But it it really is true. One second, you're too quick. One second, you miss the opportunity. Precision is really important when you have people's lives in your hands. And I think you did a nice job of elaborating that and characterizing it for our audience. And again, as I mentioned before, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show again in the future. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Dr. Jason Bingham from the Behind the Knife podcast. You can find that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Facebook. They've got a website as well. You can see several, well, at least over a 100 episodes. As he told us, he's lost count of how many. So they've been doing some really great work. And I think the biggest thing here, Mike, in terms of my takeaway for myself and a lot of topics that we've heard Dr. Peter Nickel talk about and our good friend Sean Flynn is really that cross-functional teams and pulling them together, increasing that awareness and trying to drive that communication just for the success of the patient's procedures. And I just couldn't be happier that he has shown an interest in our podcast. And I definitely want to reciprocate and get our audience interested in what they have to say. And as he mentioned, really increasing the awareness of how the instruments are used because having that knowledge can only make the frontline technicians and sterile processing more effective in their jobs on a daily basis. Yeah, what a fantastic interview that was. One of the things that we're doing as we're listening to the guests respond to the questions is we're always listening for those, we call them money quotes, those quotes where some, you know, they say something really impressive that we can kind of, you know, pull out and make sort of our intro to the show. And usually we're happy to have, you know, a couple. Dr. Bingham had three or four that we were just sitting there saying, oh yeah, this is the quote. Everything that he said was just incredibly applicable to where we are. And and you're right. I think that the move, particularly in the medical industry, towards more and more collaboration, breaking down those silos, this is what we need. And this is what the Beyond Clean podcast was started for. And so when we see that starting to pop up in other pockets of the medical community, it's just incredibly exciting. Well, it's just like Dr. Bingham said, right? They created their podcast to meet a need that they wanted. This was something that they wanted to have access to that wasn't out there. And just like you said just now, that's the reason Beyond Clean started up. We felt like there was a need that something that we wanted and we filled that need. So a lot of very two to very different podcasts, but in a lot of ways started in the same way. 
and would love to see more and more people get involved in social media to that end so that we're all working together. But that's going to do it for this week's show. As a reminder, you can help support us by subscribing to Beyond Clean on iTunes or Stitcher and now also on Google Play and Spotify. Simply search for Beyond Clean Podcast. We'd appreciate a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And if you have any topics that you'd like us to cover on a future episode or if you'd like to recommend a guest or share a picture anonymously on our Instagram page, just send us an email to info at beyondclean.net. On behalf of Hank, Mike, and myself, thank you for listening to another edition of Beyond Clean.